My conversation today on Behind the Act is with Andy Bowen. Andy's a musical artist with Bowen, an athlete, a photographer, and a philosopher. And today we're talking about failure and the importance of it for personal growth, as well as how to silence the inner critic as we're trying to go to maximize output and why the creating process requires a level of dissatisfaction and anxiety in order to communicate the thing we want to say in our art. I'm Seth Schaefer. This is Behind the Act with Andy Bowen. What's the answer to life? 42. Good. Yeah, I think you stole that from someone. Yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I love Which it. they ended up not having the full answer, and they needed a whole other millennia to compete it again. Come back. Come back for it. Yeah. Listen to in life. And Actually, there's a lot, Neil. Um, we felt just like a need to pivot. I think what we've been doing has been good enough but we didn't feel like the same excitement around things not that we don't love the stuff we've done you know i think the bar studio is like actually where we want it like the vision in the beginning has happened um i think photography wise i quit doing weddings so that was thank god um which was scary too because that's like probably the biggest chunk of my money comes from weddings they're pretty high ticket for for what i do right um but i just really what happened surprisingly was high schoolers you know senior portraits a couple of years ago i guess it's been four years now um i started taking those on and i was actually just kind of like this will be extra money that's real I, honestly that's what i thought about it um and the first shoe i had a blast um it was a girl who was very timid and meek just wasn't really sure about it um and i just remember kind of turning the camera around and going look that's you and then her whole you know she just lit up and i was like wow and then that gets me excited um so i was like all right maybe this will be all right and then so the rest of the shoot goes on mom ends up showing up like halfway through the shoot and uh i I should do the same thing for her and she's like oh my god that's my daughter she tears up you know and i'm just thinking like I remember this being like an awkward experience for me. It was like a studio. Uh, There's a couple very similar backdrops. Right. And that He's was a it. tractor next to the yes. beach ball. And yeah, <laughs> I picked all the stuff that was like the most neutral, not don't make me be this or that. Other um, than the big teddy bear you had on your lap. Right? <laughs> Other than that. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was like, I started feeling the, the urge to want to do more portraits then. Um, and then over the years now, um, I get a lot of similar experiences, um, where I'm even having like, you know, grandma calls me up like a month after the fact, you know, and she's got the Dropbox link and she's just like, I just want to thank you so much. Like the confidence my daughter has or the confidence my son has, um, grandson, granddaughter, it, I don't know, it gets me emotional. It really does. Um, I think, well, through counseling, um, very recent counseling. I started seeing a new guy. He's been great. Um, I've ended up running into, um, a piece of me that fractured in high school. Hmm. Um, and I had never, you know, through meditation, through journaling, through songwriting, I'd never really been able to get there and figure out that I had some stuff that kind of happened when my mom divorced my stepdad. Um, 
And I also started to shift who I was and my friendships changed and some people became jocks. And there's a lot that happens to us in high school. Mm -hmm. And I think it could be pretty easy to overlook like just how um, big of an impact that has going forward. Um, so when I got there in this, um, I think you and I talked about parts work one time, Yeah. how it can be, I think we both talked about how we weren't really sure about it. Yep. Um, I had to really lean into creative approaching, like just be open to this, whatever comes up, comes up. Um, the guy see, he has kind of a cool way of making it work. Um, but I'm digressing a lot, but I'll just digress real quick. Um, so he gets me into a room, you know, he wants me to picture a room and I couldn't picture a room. So I'm literally like in a place, like remember Neo and Morpheus when they first meet in like the white space, right? That's where my, that's what happened. I was like, I'm just going to roll with it. Um, and I, I remember having a smirk going, I don't know about this. This is clearly from the matrix. That's what I think. You know, my skeptic mind is like, okay, fine. Just go with it. But then things populate, like the two chairs, they're just there. A weird little table is in between them, just there. Um, then he starts asking me to invite pieces of me in the room, whatever that means to me. And the first time I did it, I literally had like an arm. I was picturing an arm, you know, um, a torso. It's like Galego style. <laughs> yeah. But then each thing slowly turned into these different versions of me. Um, there was what seemed pretty, it's very amorphous too. Like I, I can't say that like I could see my face, but I felt like I saw like a presence of like an older version of me that seemed scholarly or something. Um, another version of me that was, uh, very much an artist. I think I even had like a feather in my hat, uh, or something. I don't, I don't really remember, but the one thing that stood out the most was like a punk kid like 16 years old. And it took me a second to figure out like what the age was. He kept trying to get me to figure out the age of this guy, this kid. Um, and I immediately got emotional. It was weird. Um, I was like, what's this all about? Um, I guess. Uh, and so I said that and he's like, cool, we should probably spend some time on that. Um, so he, he asked me to kind of just leave the parts work right there. He's just like, cool. Now that you've got that, why don't you come back? Um, Talk to me a little bit about that kid. What did he look like? And uh, I saw him with his arms crossed, you know, kind of like, okay to be there, but sure. Which is a lot like my skeptic mind, right? <laughs> right yeah. um, and through a few more sessions, I eventually get to this uh, walking him down a hallway and there's pictures of like, like life events. Um, and I'm showing him these things. And then, and then he asked me at one point, um, now show him your hands, show him your tattoo. Um, and I remember looking down, trying to like show him and I got extremely emotional. And, uh, and then he asked me to come back. Um, and he was just like, so what's going on? Talk to me about it. And I was just like, I, I mean, I, I, without processing it much and I had a lot of time to process. So it's a fusion of that moment and what I processed since then. Um, these two dudes were kind of separated, you know? living in the same body. Right. Um, but very much challenging each other. I'm okay. He didn't believe it. I'm to go full circle here. I think a lot of high schoolers, um, <laughs> they're somewhere in that. I'm not okay yet. You know, we're right. trying to figure it out They're They're trying to ask those really big questions with a fair amount of ignorance 
and being naive. Um, lot, lot less life experience. Um, some have more trauma. Um, some have more um, really good stuff, good experiences. And so they've, they're, they're putting their character together with those pieces. Um, but surprisingly, um, I've found this approach to the way I do portraits because um, I'm really into it. Like I really have a good time doing it. And I think that comes through. So like the, the awkwardness of the whole thing kind of goes away very quickly. And I show them how cool they look. You know, you look very nice. You look handsome. You look beautiful. Um, you look, uh, I just shot like a girl who was fairly goth, mm -hmm. all black chains, big piercings in her nose. And I, and she, I, same thing. I showed her the first few pictures and she just welts up like, that's me. And I'm just like, all right, this is, this is magic so cool it's magic amazing um it's like casting little like confidence spells or something you know it's uh so if i can do that and i can give that to somebody um it means a great deal to me um and then also you know candidly i tripled my prices um so i i'm i'm making the money in the fall i lose out on my spring wedding stuff um but i'm making the money now just from senior photos in the fall that I would normally get for my weddings. Uh, and I love it. So, so cool. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one thing that has pivoted and changed a lot. Um, working with you over the last few years has been, um, gosh, I mean, just your belief in me and my abilities. Um, you know, just cause you know, candidly, I, before we actually started hanging out, I remember the first time going over to your house when you were living over here, yeah. um, thinking like, why does he want to talk to me? Seth's amazing. You know, Seth is awesome. Do you are? You are incredible. Um, and and then I get there, and it, it immediately, you know, you like diffuse that, like, I'm like, oh, I'm a real person. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But right. when you're um, kind of enamored by somebody's work and the professionalism and like what they've accomplished, um, and it's kind of like goals that you have, and they're doing it, um, I think it can be really easy to. Um, self-sabotage you know um like where are you in your skill where are you in your experience absolutely um how much does that really matter if you have the the passion the the willingness to try um and well you just i remember i was so scared uh you were like here's the red it's well i think we were having 60 mile an hour winds in eldora um <laughs> And you're Down like ski slope, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, I have to carry this off this 60 foot booter. Like, what if I drop it? Then you drop it. And I remember th having a war in my head. Like, did he just say it was he basically saying it's okay. If it happens, it happens. No, that can't be right. <laughs> he just said it, bro. That's what happened. Like, okay, don't think about this. You've got to nail the shots. Um, just go off this jump, point it at the guy. Intuitively, this has always worked out. Just do it. <laughs> Seth seems to believe in my abilities here. This is a 25-pound camera this time. <laughs> right, and I remember going off the jump, and it pulled me, right. you know, because um, it's in my right hand, and my I'm, I, I ride regular, so my left foot's forward. And I remember in the air going, uh-oh, uh-oh. And I had to, and this is, you know, thankfully your trust and my trust in myself kind of worked out, and I hit the landing, and I remember feeling both edges catch, and I was like, don't, don't, don't. And I just kind of just took it. And just kept going. And I was like, okay, all right, this is probably going to be okay. 
Um, and then God, I think, you know, in the end, I mean, we must have used a lot more iPhone shots than the red shots. Because it was better. It was it just worked out better. <laughs> well, and Seth and I had a lot more fun later in the day. That's right. Hill. Seth and um, I think it was just a lot more chill. It was just me and him kind of cruising through the park. Yep. Um, and seeing that shot, um, I don't remember the name of the, it was in some sitcom or. I don't remember it, yeah. But he, like, he was at the podium, he was like, and they just talked about his run, and it showed the clip of, of Seth, and it was the shot they used. I remember I remember seeing him throw that, I think it was a rodeo, and uh, and thinking, I think, I'm, I, think I blew it because I'm too far in front. I had to do that, you know, yep. spot my landing, and somehow the shot I thought was like the worst actually turned out to be rad. The sun was right behind him and it just gave this epic <laughs> look. So good. And and like this point there is if you just try it, you know? Yeah. If you just believe in yourself enough, stay as safe as you can in situations like that. I mean it's obviously there's some inherent risk to flying jumping off. sixty feet long yeah. Yeah, carrying it in snow at sixty mile an hour. With an objective so, yeah. to film. Um <laughs> That was another, you know, I'm trying to give these big full circles here. Um, that transition period in my life has now been, gosh, how long has it been? Four years? I don't remember, but yeah. Three or four or something? Yeah. Um, my belief in my abilities and what I can just do if I just try the damn thing um, has just... And I've always had a pretty good confidence in um, stuff that other people don't do. Um, I don't think it's any surprise, you know, at this point in my life that I chose rollerblading and stuck with it. Not a lot of people rollerblade. Um, I think aggressive rollerblading is, um, well, <laughs> growing up, you know, I, I was called, you know, and I know things have finally changed, um, for the better in, you know, the gay community and, and, but they were saying it to me in a mean way, you know, they were calling me a fruit booter and a rainbow rider and, um, you know, and, and back then, you know, I was just, I was so hurt by it. Um, I was, I was, I got really hurt one day. Somebody put brass knuckles on and punched my face so hard that my nose fell off. You know, I had to get it sewn back on and it was cause I was a rollerblader. Um, so like the hate that I experienced firsthand and then also heard about other people. Um, I knew about a rollerblader who died by getting hit over the head with a skateboard and the trucks hit him and split him, you know, and he, and he killed him, uh, cause he was a rollerblader. So, you know, so um, stupid, I know, um, I hate to even bring that up because rollerblading has, has been in a, in a, a bit of a renaissance. It's yeah. doing very well. Right. Um, and people are very excited to do it again. Right. Um, it's an interesting thing to watch. Uh, we were stunt skaters and now people are like, no, I don't think I want to die over that kink rail. So it's a different type of skating that's happening. Um, but you're still in the kink rails. It's fine. I still, yeah. I mean, it's like I'm. I I can feel my age. You know, uh, I just turned 38 last month, and um, are we in September? Yeah, we're in September. So in July, um, and I had it was funny. You know, basically like, well, I lost my dog. Uh, Apollo passed away. A 16 year old Bassett, um, and he was just the one of the biggest joys of my life, if not the biggest joy next to my wife. Um, and I got pretty down uh very malnourished and um so i can attribute a little bit of what happened to me uh to just this this grieving period um but i ha like on my birthday 
Um, I remember bending down and picking something up and I was like, oh, what was that? It was something in my back. It turned into like a month and a half long back spasm. Like there was a couple days getting out of bed was like, oh, I don't know if I can. This hurts so bad. Um, and then my neck out of nowhere, I think I was laying on my face or something, uh, woke up the next day. I was like, oh no, that lasted like three weeks. Um, but then as soon as I could, I got my skates on and I went and skated and everything was great. I felt way better. Um, cause Colorado road trip happened. It was the 25th annual this year. Um, and that's basically skate skaters come from all over the place, the world. And, and they'd meet in the mountain towns of Colorado to skate. So at any one time you go to a skate park and there's like 60, 70 rollerbladers. It's crazy. Awesome. Um, and for it to be the 25th annual that, that I was like scratching my head. Like I went to the second one. That really says a lot about how long I've done this. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I'm still able to do it. Um, I actually feel my best when I do go skate. My body loosens up. Um, I get days of relief from it. Uh, it's not something I go do and then pay for it immediately. Um, so I'm very happy about that. Very thankful for my body. Um, but the point of that was I've, I've always chose things that um, other people tend to shy away from or just think is stupid or whatever but but i want it to be really really hard like super challenging um i think a long time ago it was so that i could prove myself so that i could um you know i enjoyed football you know um i really did in my freshman year i remember wanting to be the quarterback and they were like you're that's great you put the ball where you want it to go and then go to a scrimmage and I remember these guys, you know, making fun of me for being, he's just a, a scrawny little skater kid. And they just tackled me so hard over and over just out of sheer wanting to hurt me. Right. And, uh, about three quarters of the way through the scrimmage practice tryout thing, I was like, I'm out, I'm out. I, I don't want to do this. Um, and then it's one of those fracturing points in my soul, you know, where it was just like, am I good at it? Maybe I thought I was better at it than I, Right. Is this something that these people are right about me? And but if I just do this, no one does this. I don't have to feel that judgment. Right. I'm so self-conscious. Yep. Um, and I and I never really got any affirmations from my parents either. You know, um, I never had a real father. Um, my stepdad was a pretty great guy. Um, but my mom has a lot going on. Um, I'm in a weird place with her. Um, I had to remove her from my life so that I could be okay. Um, but I never got, uh, I couldn't, I, it was always like, mom, check this out, you know, and it never mattered. So I didn't get it there. My sister, thank God she existed. Um, she would always be like, you're the coolest motherfucker ever. Um, and, and she taught me style. Um, she taught me how to be cool. Um, she showed me rap, you know, which ended up becoming a huge part of my life. Um, you know, again, picking something that not very many people around me did. Right. Um, and, uh, for whatever reason, I think I've maybe not for whatever reason anymore. I think my flow state that I was able to do very well quickly in rap was because of rollerblading. Um, when you do a trick that has actual like death consequences, if you screw it up bad enough, you have, you do have to find a way to be in that flow state. Um, and, it carried over into every other aspect of my life, but very much into the rap world. I love that. It seems like what you have fallen in love with is individual yeah. activities that don't allow other people to get in the way of that not being something. 
hundred percent. Um, let me get the con out of the way. Yeah. Um, lots of bros. I'm easy. I can talk about that for hours. Um, the cons, the biggest con is, um, isolation, which gave me a lot of power in, in a, in a way, um, not in some egomaniacal way. Well, and there was times that that was part of it. Um, but I, um, I over time got worse and worse and worse at being in groups. Um, if I was in the group, I assumed a leadership position mostly cause I was shitty at listening. Um, I was afraid of what other input would do to the way I thought about things or thought about myself, um, what it would do to my self-esteem. That was really hard to spot when it was happening. You know, um, my ego got really loud and it took over, uh, and it protected me from having to feel, uh, responsible for not listening well for not hearing uh, constructive criticism. Now, there's criticism that sucks. Um, There are people who just want to put you down. But there's a lot of times when people are actually trying to help you, you know, like, or tell you you're in your own way. Um, God, I remember Mr. Manchi, uh, rest in peace. That was one of the coolest guys. He was um, a UTech teacher, which is kind of like the college before college that we had in town a while back. Um, But I went to do... um, I think it was called digital design or something like that. It was like Photoshop 2.4. I don't know. Um, Illustrator and all that. And, and he was, he let me into the class because I showed him that I, he was like, what, what, what would you do to, to prove to me you should be here? So I brought him this stack of sketches and I showed him my, my stuff, all, all comic books, you know, it was all big macho men with muscles and, um, and he's flipping through it and he's like, yeah, this all makes sense to me. And he kept looking back. He looked, he looked me up and down. I was just like, what is he doing? Uh, and he's like, cool, here you go. You have a lot of self-esteem problems, buddy. And I was just like, I was a junior in high school. <laughs> Fuck you. That's my first response, you know, like, you don't know a thing about me. And he's like, every single thing you draw is like, first of all, that's not even real muscle. That's a bicep on a bicep. You know, like, what is this? You know, let's get anatomy going here. I mean, the real way we look is not like this. What you're doing is trying to show something inside yourself through these images. And I was so mad. I was so mad. I, but it challenged me and it actually made me want to go even more. Like, tell me I can't or tell me there's something that I'm bad at that I think I'm good at. And oh man, that's like the best thing you can do to light a fire under me. I'll, I'll definitely do it then. Um, and even to the end, you know, I went two years there and I still didn't fully grasp what he was giving me until, um, I still am grasping it, I guess. But years and years after high school, I remember thinking, man, that dude was awesome. He humbled me. Um, he was one of the first dudes to, without a filter, go, don't be such a douchebag, you know, don't be so in your way about this stuff. Um, and he was a, a big proponent of an individuality. You know, he's like, one of the coolest things about being an artist is you really get to just be, you can be yourself. Um, and who cares? He even said, who cares about my judgment? Who cares about their judgment? Do you think it's good? Right. Do you, do you really think it's good? No, look at this. Look at this. Do, no, no, it's not as good as I want it to be. There you go. Right. Keep going. Keep going. 
so there was this beautiful thing that happened um, in that that initial artistry individuality thing that I've just kind of had since I can remember. Apparently, when I was like two or three, I would just fill eight and a half by elevens with little tiny Ninja Turtles and stuff, you know, just trying to picture every move that they could be doing, holding their sword, their I don't even know nunchucks, just just trying to do just whatever I could with their bodies and their strength, and I just love Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I remember every sewer cap we drive by, I'm like. There's going to be one popping out of there someday. Um, <laughs> I started to realize, you know, that because I played soccer all throughout like my grade school. And then I, I think I was on the fire team in eighth grade. So I got quite good. But I had like a best friend that I did it with. And um, I've always been someone who wants that one good or two good friends. I don't need this giant group. Um, this was something given to me very much by my mom and, um, the, the interesting upbringing I had, I, I just didn't need that big group. Um, but once we, different schools happened and, and things were changed around, I, I lost my interest in wanting to do the, the team thing. Um, and well, there was a, there was a major thing that happened. Um, I've had to really work on what exactly, what team I was on because it's like some mandala effect shit where I'd, I tell friends the story, the story being, um, I was on the A team of basketball and, uh, I went out and played a game and I, I was so good at half court shots. I spent so much time one summer just, you know, hucking them until I was pretty dialed. Well, they, the team went up like, I remember like 10, 12 points, something like that. And I was like, I'll get us back. I was center forward. Give me that thing. And I did, I got us back and then I got benched. I quit basketball because you're not playing the team. Yeah. Like you're just the guy out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I cocky ego in the way it's also very afraid of what it meant to be a team player and, and to not be given the ball when I wanted it or thought I deserved it. You know, all that stuff was very in the way. And, um, but either way, you know, and I've had friends tell me, no, dude, you're on the B team. I'm like, Oh really? And then another friend, you know, are telling me like, no, I'm pretty sure you're on the A team. You were, you were pretty good. And I'm like, well, crap. What is the memory then? Right. <laughs> um, I say the A-team, you know, to make it more spicy story. But, uh, yeah, uh, the team stuff really failed for me. Um, the coaches really hurt my feelings all the time. Um, the other kids really hurt my feelings all the time. I tried really hard on my own getting good at whatever it was. Um, had I put myself in scrimmages to get good, to go to the park and play with the other kids... Um, the team, I would have learned more about what that meant, but I was just so self-conscious. I was so worried about not being good, not being as good as then. It's a tough question to answer because I've, I've shifted my position a little bit. I think I missed out on some stuff, but I also like who I am now. You talked about how you hated being challenged, um, by your art teacher, but you ultimately, you know, discovered that there's a drive there because he was saying, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Um, growing up, well, let's say now, now having grown up, we have imposter syndrome in different ways. And, oh my and so how do you balance the drive that you get from being challenged versus the muting of your output from imposter syndrome? Like, how do you make sure that voice doesn't make you hate to do the output or want to hide from it because you know it's not good enough still? When really, there's, when really, there's no such thing as good enough still. You know, just do it anyways. 
that voice is going to be so loud. And I think it's trying to help in some way, but it's also hurt and scared. Um, it has had negative consequences to being vulnerable and, and it, but if you let that stuff be louder than how exciting it is to do the thing, um, you're never going to see what would happen. Um, I've been, I think some of the things that has been interesting to me is telling people, you know, now that I'm a lot more open and candid about what I've been through and, and who, all the different people I've been, um, is how scared I've been like terrified. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is a driving force for better or worse for, uh, whatever amount of fear or just being terrified about not being good enough or you've seen people do it better. You know that it can be done better. You know you don't have the experience yet. You know you're going to fail. Um, that's the stuff that makes it interesting and worth it. Because if it were easy, would you have any fun? Would there be any excitement? Really? If it were just easy. Like, I tried it. I did it. I did it the best it could be done. I bet you're done. For me, anyways, I would lose interest. I lose interest so fast, I'm surprised I'm still a photographer, right? Like, thankfully, I get a lot of different things out of it that keeps it interesting. I've, I've been able to progress. My photos do look better than they used to. I can see this progression. It does come to a point where it slows down a bit, but then... Thankfully, imposter syndrome, I can see other people like when I see an astrophotographer who does astrophotography. Holy crap. That's what they do. They go sit outside for two weeks at a time, living out of their van or whatever, staring at the same part of the sky, waiting for that time, waiting for that cloud to, or clear sky or whatever it is they're trying to do. Um, and and then you, you, you get to impose yourself. You get to go, how could I do that? How could I get better? Um, imposter syndrome is is good. It will, if you let it, make you try harder. It will show you progress. Um, it'll make you happy in the end. As long as it doesn't make you not do it. That's the voice being too loud or not loud enough. Yeah. Um, a really good example is, is going back to when I first met you. Um, and then you were like, you're going to, you're going to be a, a cinematographer for this thing. Had I ever used a red? Nope. Had I ever used, uh, a sync cable? Nope. Had I ever used a powerful light? Nope. Um, had I ever carried a heavy stand other than for music? Nope. Literally Everything I did at the level we did it was for the first time with you. Um, was I afraid very much? Um, mostly, I didn't want to let you down. You know, you put a lot of uh, trust in me. And, um, you know, there, there, there. thankfully, once I learned that, like, stock is this thing that you could upload or not upload or, you know, whatever, like that actually did take some pressure away. Because yeah. I think when you do deal with imposter syndrome, you're going to look for things that make you feel a little e ease it up a bit. Yeah. Um, also, if you would have messed up, we wouldn't be friends. So, right. You know. Yeah. There was a little pressure. <laughs> Just kidding. 
<laughs> no, but I knew that that wasn't the case. No, and really all it was was the drive to Denver. We just started, you know, I mean, we had had a couple chats before that and they were great, you know, a few walks where we just got to talk about life stuff. Mm-hmm. Nothing about cameras, nothing about, um, you know, professional cinematography and storytelling. Um, the stuff that I had admired for God at that point, it felt like I'd been watching your stuff for 10 years or something. Long time. Yeah. The walks that we went on before we did anything just to be like, oh, you're a human with skin and heartbeat and... You talk about stuff that you're dealing with, mental health, yep. physical health, um, being a father, um, balancing life, work, having fun. Oh, I deal with all that too, you know? And you seem to have some, um, you made my words feel like they were valuable. Like you were curious about the way I did things because later I found out you admired some of my work ethic and my uh, my output. Um, and it was honestly the first time in my adult life that someone was like, dude, your output's nuts. And I was like, is it? Guess I don't know anybody who puts out that much stuff that often and then moves on comfortably and doesn't spend time beating themselves up about the imperfections. And like, I kind of was able to kind of go, Hey, these are things that I didn't think I was very good at, but this is where I, that just do thing I, I talk about. I have to, to get away from what I just did. Because if I don't get to work on something else as fast as possible, I'm going to probably stew in the imperfections. I'm going to probably, uh, it's like for every day I don't create, I have two days that, that'll add to that. You know, it's, it like doubles down a month. I have like maybe a three month plateau. I've been thinking recently a lot about what art is and what the output of art is. And how I have a tendency to be quite black and white, obviously, for certain things. I'm doing music, or I'm doing yeah. film, or I'm doing this thing. Or no, I can't do either of those things because I've got to work on building out the studio or the van, or got to, whatever, right? Yeah. And realizing how much joy I had in creating even just that new little camera holder that I threw in the back of the van, and then hanging out with another friend of mine to, you know, work on making the van just a little bit better and also of course the studio stuff like that's the art that that's the art piece of it and then the last few months i've been really studying the music industry to say how in the hell does this whole payment structure thing work and how do people actually do it and i feel like everyone is maybe a bit lost or i'm sure a bunch of people haven't figured out but i haven't met a lot of them that feel like they have like it comprehensively figured out at least an updated version of it and but all of those things, like that's my entrepreneurial bug. That's my entrepreneurial art yeah, output. Sure my, my my woodworking stuff going into the van or into the studio or into my house. Those are that's that's art too. And so instead of being so specific, and this is stuff I've been working with my therapist on, is what is what how am I defining each part of my day and what's the output? And so much of what I'm stressing about and feeling like I've failed on is self imposed anyway so just realizing that objectively my last few months have been really productive but if i take one sliver of it like music output i haven't done anything but if i look at the progress i've made in the preparation for different things or 
the podcast stuff or building the van out for this trip that I have to do to go travel across the country and being able to write music in the van yeah, <laughs> and yeah. those things. I, I, I'm setting myself up and there's continual progress. So anyway, I guess from your end, I mean, I, I see you have photography and music and rollerblading and rock climbing still often? Or yeah, well, okay. I'm, I'm slowly yeah. getting back into it. Um, yeah. 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 Underwater basket weaving. Yeah, all the time. Uh-huh. Daily. Right. Yes, exactly. I wake Normal up at 4 a.m. <laughs> Good. Good. You just do it in your bathtubs. Uh, yeah. My wife's yeah. like, what are you doing? Yes. You know what I'm it's doing. It's a thing. Seth said I had to. So. No. Um, anyway, I think it's... An, oh, and philosophy. I, yeah, and, I do love philosophy. Yeah. I love thinking about that stuff. I see. I just see you as an explorer, and I love that. Um, and it, that, that part inspires me. Um, it's not any one specific output thing because that doesn't validate you as a human it's that you are continually open to engaging in things that inspire you and i think that's really cool thanks and something that inspires other people too so thanks yeah i'm realizing that a little bit more um i always kind of uh even still doubt my value in society in groups um what i am offering contributing um but lately I've, I've had a lot of feedback um from people i also admire and care deeply about and they seem to think i'm doing all right and i am offering stuff um just just by doing um when i do share philosophy you know oftentimes we'll do like a i used to do it all the time but um, i call them video journals uh, i just record myself talking about something that i was feeling very passionate about um, or that I saw other people struggling with something that I very much related with. Um, and <laughs> you know, I, I really like that you brought those, all the things up. Every, the, every one of these things feeds into each other. Um, and rapping specifically writing songs, um, each sentence that you write you spend a lot of time with each bar, whatever you want to call it. Um, I tend to get to the, you know, the, the bar is the method. You know, I, I look at, this is where this word will rhyme. This is where these syllables will line up with the hats or whatever in my, it's not that one thing writes itself first or, or second ever. I go back and forth. Sometimes I write the instrumental first. Sometimes I write the words either way. When I get to the words, I spend a lot of time going, does this say, what I actually believe. Does this communicate in a vernacular, in a in a way that can capture more ears than less ears? Um, it will it be highly relatable, or is this some cryptic, abstract thing? Which sometimes that's cool. Maybe that's what you're going for. Um, but if you're trying to be helpful um, to more people. Um, which has kind of always been my drive in music, is I want to say stuff that gets people feeling less alone, uh, especially the deep thinkers. Um, and thankfully, you know, um, I was just talking about this in a post the other day, you know, I don't give up very easy. And that's a rollerblading thing, you know, skating and doing hard tricks, scary tricks. Oh my gosh, it's so, it's, what you have to go through physically and mentally to get it done, um, that has carried over into these other pieces of my life that 
all complement each other in some way. And now, you know, having gotten old enough and being able to teach in some ways, um, I've had some different platforms that I've been invited into or been a part of where I get to be a speaker. Um, and I, I sometimes I'll get done with whatever that thing is and I'll, I'll be driving home and I'm like, damn, dude, you, you crushed that. <laughs> you sounded smart. Um, you sounded helpful. Um, and so there's validating things, you know, at the end of the class, like especially speaking of high school classes, um, the, the teacher will come up and go, thank you. The way you kind of hit this middle ground between me and these kids is I just like, that was really nice. You know, like you, you really did some stuff there. And, and, and then I can sneak in that I'm cool because I'm a rapper, you know, cause I make this EDM music, um, and I show it to them and, and they, they, they give me a check of, Oh, he's all right. I'll listen a little bit. Right. Um, that's, uh, that's a thing. That's a, I never like to use the word gift, but a skill that I've acquired that I can give in a way that people who just haven't been there yet or have the experiences yet can see hope. They can see, oh, this this guy, <laughs> I don't have it figured out, but they go, I think he's figured it out. Um, you know, I, I think he's, he's, he's doing the thing that I thought was just a dream um, that is only carved out in fate for some lucky souls, you know, or whatever weird shit we tell ourselves growing up. Um, so I've, I've noticed that even for adults, you know, I, I guess I'm speaking like I'm only speaking to young people, but I also get to bring the child out in adults, you know, and I found that that's a sneaky little skill I've earned over the years. Um, an adult, God, we get so jaded. We've paid so many bills. We've had so many hospital visits. We've had so many pharmaceuticals. We've had, we've gone through so many things that have made our brains pretty stuck in their ways. And I think the real amazing thing I've got to pull out of having a multifaceted interest um, is it, it keeps me excited. It keeps me inspired. And when I feel I find this to be getting dull, I can transition to this. And they keep feeding into each other. You know, when I, I didn't do skating for a while, because my body really started to hurt. I skated hard for a long time. And then I took like a seven, eight year break, long break, where I didn't skate at all, maybe once a year, just to go make sure I could still throw a 540 or something. Um, but I, I didn't take it too serious. And interestingly enough, the hardest time of my life was from that like, 24 to 31 32 i didn't skate as soon as i started skating again the depression that was always kind of there the anxiety you know and i'm fine to admit i have i had been diagnosed with severe ptsd i had a panic disorder um i would have panic attacks daily for years um i i had panic attacks that were so severe they would end in a seizure sometimes um and I, I'm not going to say the rollerblading alone. I did a lot of hard work, a lot of therapy, um, a lot of alternative therapy, uh, stuff that some people would be like, oh, my boys, you know, it worked. Um, the things that I have adjusted in my life, one of those things being bringing skating, bringing a high physical level of um, activity back into my life. It, <laughs> again, everything was there for a good reason, I think, you know, and when I lose something, when I drop it out, because like, actually, I remember somebody telling me, I don't remember how, I think I was like 23 or 24, I was rollerblading and they were like, aren't you a little old? 
And I believed it. At <laughs> 23, 24. I don't remember who it was, yeah. but I it, they had enough value in my, my mind that I was like, mm. they must be right, you know? Right. I should probably not take this so seriously. Right. Um, God, I don't know if it's trauma that I can't remember who it was, but... Um, some block is there. I can't even see their Just face. Just keep it blocked. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't remember now. about them. For now, maybe okay. some EMDR later on. Yeah. I'll bring that out. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I took it to heart, you know, and I put I put skates away. Uh, I put that doing it weekly multiple times that right. ended. Um, it was a bad move, man. Yeah. Um, philosophy immediately came into my life at about the same time, and it was so interesting, um, and it. It was like, oh my gosh, this is all the stuff I've been thinking about. Yeah. Uh, there's all these dudes who's dedicated their lives to to doing this. Um, I've got to know more. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> there was a weird moment of validation. I showed up to a, a philosophy club meeting. It was the first one I ever went to. And I was unanimously dubbed philosophy club president by all these people I really didn't know at all. But apparently when I spoke up in class... This is that being able to speak well. This is being able to articulate my thoughts and my beliefs. It was of value enough to them. They wanted me to lead them in difficult thinking land. And I was like, at first I walked outside and I was like, no way. I was terrified. It's like, I do not belong here. I, I got through high school because they wanted me to be gone. They were like, just please leave. I think I went to class once a week for my senior year. I just fuck school, you know. Well, I had a lot of negativity given to me. I was I was put in special ed very early. And I was told my comprehension, my ability to read, write, do math. It's just, you know, um, I was called a retard a lot by teachers and kids um, because of the classes I was put in and the stuff I did. So I just, I wrote it off that I just wasn't smart. So I've always thought differently. Um, my... The way I take information in, especially like rhetoric or, or being in a school situation, um, kind of what I was talking about earlier with having like a hypersensitivity to being very self-conscious and self-aware and um, worried that I was dumb, you know, worried that I couldn't keep up because I couldn't at first, you know. Um, think, thankfully, uh, my step-grandmother um, hooked on phonics worked for me. Mm -hmm. It really did. Yeah. Um, like I, thankfully like the pictorial, the, the, the way to learn how to read in this different way was how I learned how to read, how I learned how to actually move through words on paper and be able to understand them. Um, so thankfully that happened without that. I really don't know what things would have been like. I probably wouldn't have been able to ever get there at all in any of the K through 12 stuff. Um, but because I was you know, pegged as, as a very special needs, um, you know, called retarded, you know, very negative words were, were sent my way by, by both teachers and students. Um, I believed it. And so I never really took school seriously. Um, all the way up through high school, I ran into a few really great people in high school, Scott Lowe, who I've now been friends with forever. Um, he's one of the coolest guys. Um, he was one who kind of saw me as, as like, no, you're not, you're not stupid. You just don't, this, this doesn't work for you sort of thing. Um, but you're not stupid. Like I said, I'd say something maybe quite different. Um, so there was a few people later on that were like, no, dude, just, just get out of high school, just get out into the world and yep. you're, you're going to be okay. Um, and thankfully they, 
were proponents of me graduating. You know, I don't, I think if I wouldn't have had a few people on my side, especially the principal, um, Matt Deers, um, I just, they would have flunked me. I would have been kicked out of school. Um, but they just wanted me to have the degree so that I had a little leg up, you know, cause I do think having a high school diploma is somewhat helpful. Um, uh, maybe not so much these days, but it was back in my day. Um, and so I was thankful to have that. Um, but, but even so it wasn't until like the, my senior year, I remember people coming and asking me like advice questions just seemed to be happening all the time whether it was a jock a skater um, is all of them you know I realized that like I kind of was this I could just move in and out of whatever group without really having to worry to be like them um, and I think that that gave me some weird wise sage sort of thing I don't know um, but people kept coming to me and asking me advice and I'm like why me I'm the dumb one um, I don't do well in school at all. I get C's at best, um, like weird. And then after high school ended, um, turns out all the things that I was kind of learning in this sad, um, I'm a black sheep, I'm an outcast w way, the stuff I was having to learn being that person gave me a lot more to offer people that were scholastically good. Um, they missed out on a lot of that introspection. They missed out on a lot of that, uh, philosophizing. Um, and I just, I had to, to survive myself, if, if nothing else, I, to, to be okay. I had to think deeply. I've accepted it over the years. Um, and just that, you know what, if people need advice and they're coming to me, I'm honored. I'm going to do my best, but I'm also going to tell you, I don't know. Here's what I can offer, but your, your walk is your walk. Right. Um, and as that, that there was a period of my life where, you know, I did actually write an essay to try to go to Naropa university in Boulder. Um, my sister needed a little bit of help at that time in my life too. And she was living in Boulder. So it was kind of a kill two birds sort of thing. And I wrote an essay. Um, I had been writing rap for a while. I had been signed to a label. Um, and I was a rapper, man. I was performing. I was doing the thing. And, uh, I spent a lot of time writing. So the essay won them over. I got accepted. You know, they wanted to give me everything. Come to our school. You're going to do fine. Um, and so I get to this Buddhist private school um, and I'm introduced to yoga. I'm introduced to Buddhism. Um, I'm introduced to Taoism. I'm introduced to uh, spirituality. I'd always kind of dinked with anyways. Um, but it, it, it gave me this interesting look into higher education that it could be a little different. Um, I start going. Um, they're, they're like, we're going to figure this out. I start going before I know the cost. I start going before I know what grants are going to do. Um, and I get into this situation where I'm trying to help my sister go through some really difficult personal stuff. My girlfriend at the time was living in Colorado Springs, driving up on the weekends. Um, I felt, I felt very short on time all the time. So I couldn't really do what I wanted, but I was making sure to go every morning to go to yoga, um, and creative writing. And about a month and a half into school, uh, they show me what the costs were $288,000 for a four year creative writing. And that the grants that I was expecting to get didn't happen because I did poorly in high school. I was at risk, you know, like this part, this kid's probably not going to make it. So a little bit of that 
I'm stupid kind of surfaced again, you know, and I felt a lot of imposter syndrome and I was encouraged to go ahead and just keep going by a few teachers. We're not going to take attendance for you, but you can keep coming to class. Um, so I did, and I got a lot out of the yoga part of it. I got a lot out of, um, studying Buddhism. I got a lot out of, um, I, I, I ran into shamanism at that time too. And, um, I never got into psychedelics. Um, then now is a different story, but like, um, I was very interested in these altered states and what you could get from them. And so I studied them and, uh, that showed me a few little pieces of philosophy like the Bhagavad Gita is this uh it's like the most ancient religious text uh, it was first written in Sanskrit um and it was it's considered a philosophy book but it's also a religious text um and there was some stuff in there that was just really cool as far as prose goes like beautiful writing there were some one-liners where I was like oh that's amazing so I incorporated that into my into my songwriting and um felt that it was a cool edgy thing to add to my rap persona and uh and it was it was really fun to to start to move my rapping from i'm rad um cooler than you um girl songs you know trying to be this you know have sexual prowess and uh it started to shift very much into like a very more more centered around intellectualism and um discovery and helping through that um and then due to circumstance um my mom being here or my grandparents being here and my mom being in Denver, my grandparents, um, well, my grandma passed away and my grandfather had uh, sundowners, Alzheimer's and dementia. So he had a lot stacked against him every single day and there was no one to help. And, um, you know, I did something kind of came into me and said, you need to do this, man. You need, this is something that if you don't do it, nobody's going to. I, I end up moving back here. I move in with my girlfriend. She she comes with me, even though she hates Grand Junction. A lot of people have good reason, and I like it here. Um, and she's in the house, and, you know, I have a gun pulled on me daily. Thankfully, I found all the clips. There was 51 clips. If you want to talk about what a World War II veteran does to feel safe when they start losing their shit, um, it's scary, you know? I mean, there was a part of the, of a wall that I saw had like a, a loose chunk of um, sheetrock and I pulled in, there was three loaded clips behind there. He just had them everywhere in the house. I must've found all the ones he knew about cause I never got shot. Um, but I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And someone needed to help my mom. Yeah. Jeez. Um, so I, I, at the end of that, um, I'm encouraged to go to school again. And uh, it was Mesa State College still at the time. They were going through a transitional period of turning into a university. And I was really excited about philosophy, but they didn't offer a philosophy major. But because it was going to be a liberal arts university, just by curriculum decree, you're supposed to offer a philosophy degree. So I'm going on this hope that once they transition into the university status, that they'll have to offer this program. So I start going and get my general eds. Um, I get a D in history and an A in writing. I only took two classes my first quarter and I was like, well, shoot. I don't know what that means. I felt like I crushed history and did all right with writing. Right. Ended up with a D and an A. I was just like, what? Um, I, I had to really think about going back the following semester. Um, I was encouraged uh, by the right people and um, ended up going back. Yeah. Took more writing classes, took intro to philosophy, um, and met Dr. Miller Les, who's now a great friend of mine. Um, 
and uh, I don't remember what the other class was, but uh, I think it was anthropology. And um, I was so excited. I, I remember the first day in class, the wizard, Les, um, the thing that just was shocking to me is he asked us all our names. Your name, your name, first and last. Your name, your name, your name. And he goes through the class like this, and there's 28 of us. And then he goes, all right, let me know if I got it right. And he started at the, at the beginning and went through it all again, got every single one of our names right. And I went, whoa, what? And you could just kind of tell looking at this yeah. guy. He's on some other level. Right. And uh, I was just kind of like, if he, he must have got that ability from philosophy, you know? Um, and I've, I've, I've had this thing going in me that is just lovely about philosophy, this uh, very romantic idea that it was going to have all the answers yeah. And um, I was a truth seeker. I've always been a truth seeker. Yeah. And I was sure that this was it, you know, because religion failed me horribly. Um, it actually hurt me quite quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and in the end, looking for the the answers, you know, the stuff that could really be helpful, it just, it fell so short of the, the usable stuff. Right. And philosophy was trying, I think that's kind of like, if you look at human evolution, it was, it was the thing that had to come after religion. Um, it's the evolution of the intellectual human pursuit the human conversation mm. and so i i fell in love um i was given some some interesting ideas i was told to write these papers i went nuts on them um and this guy who i thought was the smartest dude i ever met was like you're a smart motherfucker i was like i am <laughs> and i believed it you know it was like if he thinks it it's gotta be true um we can talk about what that really means in some other way, but um, it gave me what I needed to believe in myself enough to think I can be smart. Yeah, I can be an intellectual. I can dig into deep, difficult information and make some sense of it. And I'm actually pretty good at it. Um, so that kind of led into the story I was telling a little before about going to a philosophy club meeting, Yeah, being yeah. dubbed the president by people I did not know really. Um, just a couple times in class and they, they wanted me to do this and they wanted a club and they wanted me to run it. And thankfully these pieces all shifted at the right times. And I believed in myself enough to be like, all right, I'll do it. So awesome. One of the coolest experiences of my life. So for three and a half years, I'm this president of the philosophy club. Um, everything we did event wise crushed it. Um, I definitely had to like pull my you know everybody and there's the treasurer there was the secretary the the notes taker there was there was all these different positions for people and i was always like come on come on but i was so and i was just so excited about the the group of people the belief they had in me and what i was getting done with it and the people i was meeting because of it i'm leaving dave out of this and i don't want to leave dave dr hale mm -hmm. came into um dave also is the guy who taught me how to climb He's been, uh, he wouldn't say I'm your mentor. He hates that kind of stuff, but he's been a mentor of mine for a long time. Um, he has this beautiful, beautiful home in Snowmass that for 10 years now I go and stay in multiple times. We basically have a room there. Mm -hmm. um, he's taken me on the most epic climbing adventures. He's given me the coolest books to read. Um, we talk about things just forever, and it's yeah. fun and lighthearted and but it's like this super difficult, deep stuff. But the way he and I have like their sense of humor sinks up, we're very dark and twisted in what we say sometimes and we just get it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he co-teaches a class with Les Miller and it's ethics. And the bickering that these two would do, because Dave is this very, 
um, more open, creative. He got his uh, PhD in divinity, but he is not a religious person. He was just so like, this is bizarre. I've got to know everything. And then less super atheist, you know, the Hume and like he, he analytic philosophy, he could crush it. He could read those books that were, you know, this thick and, and comprehend it and teach it. And Dave would do it too, but he would do it in his own way. And so for us in class, we just got to kind of sit back. But what we learned listening to these two argue um, in a conversational way, um, but you could tell sometimes they were opposed. Um, it was amazing like to see that like two people who've really, they've got their PhDs in this stuff can go out a battle of wits and in the end go, yeah, but I don't know if any of that's true. And they're both right. And they're both right and wrong. Yeah. Where are you satisfied or not satisfied? And what's that balance for you? It's a really good question. That's a cool question. I'm never satisfied. Ever. I can always do better. Um, I think anyways. I think I've done stuff that was better in hindsight, you know, but something moved me past it and it was dissatisfaction. Um, I had a moment a couple weeks ago where I finished a song for, I just, my, my wife and I got on a team, the Christopher Benson Collective, CBC, um, where we're doing stuff that I never thought I'd see again. Um, like kind of a fashion hair runway modeling um, and I'm, I get to do all of the, the, the music. Um, they've asked me to open the show with a spoken word piece, you know. So after all these years of thinking I'm done, I'm not going to perform anymore. I'm, now I'm going to have the biggest audience I've ever had in a place I never would have planned to be. Um, and uh, overwhelmed and imposter syndrome, all that stuff being wow again. Like, oh my gosh, I got to deal with this and I have to crush. I have to send. This has to be really good. Um I had a satisfactory moment where I, um, whenever I have a theme, I, do, I found I do my best. Like when someone's like, I need this to be kind of a masquerade thing. Right. Like, like, like think Phantom of the Opera. Bum, 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 bum. Mm -hmm. But so I'm like, all right, I have this idea. I wanted to start with room to speak. And so I know what I want to do because I know what I need to do. And I build this intro that's that's very satisfactory. I'm satisfied. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's going to be perfect for words. I'm starting to write them in my head. I have some stuff going on, but now it's time to make the, the meat of the dance part of the song. Um, and luckily, it's like that 110 to 120 BPM area where electronic dance really shines. Um, and so uh, the straightforward kick drum, put that in there and then realize, you know, that... Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. So I just start doing that with wild synths and mm -hmm. uh, sounds rad. And then I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to bring in the original song at the end. And it's just that nostalgia fix is going to bam. And so I, 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 I spend, I think Brittany said, you know, she had to remind me to eat both days. Uh, whenever I'm taken over, I'm taken over. Um, I have no sense of time. I have no sense of uh, bodily fluids that need to be helped kidneys are screaming uh stomach is gargling but my brain and my the muse the 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 thing that i need to do is the art you know the thing that's in front i gotta do it if it's if the iron is that hot i got i'm ironing and uh 
And that's something I've learned over the years. Um, and also I've always just kind of defaulted to be that way. Surprisingly, it wasn't a hard thing to do. Um, but the satisfactory moment came, um, I got to the end of it. Um, and I, 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 I always do a pre-master master. So like, I don't just like leave it raw. I actually go through and mix everything. Um, give it one pass at least, which is usually like a four hour process. Um, lots of listening through headphones on my phone, just various things. Um, taking the, the base part of it seriously, going upstairs, listening to it on my home theater system, because that sub is just so awesome. Um, but also wrong. Um, and, uh, so I go through this process and I get back down here and I'm like, all right. And then I have this cool thing I can kind of do in my brain where I click over to the listener. Um, I'm no longer the producer, the engineer, the, the guy making the song. I'm the, I'm the listener. Um, and I get through the song and I, I, I'm like crying, you know, it is a proud feeling. Like I was like, I did that. And it wasn't just that I did that. I could imagine the audience hearing this piece I had just done my spoken word, walked off stage, dancers are out with choreographed radness to my song. I know they're going to be inspired. It's, it really is a rad song. They're going to hear it and go, oh, let's move. Uh, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. So my brain is doing all this. Like It's giving me check marks on everything, which is rare. For me, it's very rare. Usually I have lots of red X's and a few check marks, but I'm satisfied enough. Right. Um, this was a full satisfactory moment. Um, but it took 19 years. I say that and I'm bringing this up because that was the first time that I was, I had that feeling of being actually satisfied. Um, what I was worried about was, okay, how do I do better than this? So what, what about for fun, take it to rollerblading where you're, I mean, just in addition to the idea of the music stuff, because I, I think you can play in this world of being, I mean, you literally, I think maybe twice for both words said, I'm always dissatisfied and I was satisfied with this, right? And I think that there's something about that pendulum swing that allows for the happiness of the creative. That's that progress. It's like, it's yeah. almost like a an engine that runs. It's like yeah. satisfied, dissatisfied, you know, it's like that like pumps the energy forward, yeah. right? But then you can be content with that and happy with that. And then there's pragmatism that has to come into something like rollerblading where in 20 or 30 years, you're probably not going to be doing 540s off of a 40-foot drop like you yeah. do still uh, 40 foot, somehow. I'm just I got kidding. You, yeah. you know, but, I've, you know, so, but, but that doesn't mean that you can't still be loving rollerblading and crushing it, right, yeah. to, to whatever degree you're at. So the satisfied, dissatisfied, always getting better isn't necessarily the thing. It's like remaining as on top of what you're doing or learning something new and remaining content with that. Yeah. I don't know. I guess if I think you answered it right there, learning something new, um, then our, the, the pendulum is great. You know, somewhere right in here is when you're all right. Everything yeah. Everything's okay. Over here, you're on fire over here. You're angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not angry, but discontent. Um, and you're, you're just working because the pendulum is not going to just swing on itself. This is, this is the, the, this metaphor always got cloudy for me because the pendulum suggests that there's a weight that just naturally makes this thing happen. It's not just happening. It's the working through both sides that keeps it swinging. And in the middle, you get to experience the reward of those opposites. And sometimes it, it's always, uh, well, for me, it's been hindsight where I actually appreciate the negative more often than I appreciate the positive. If I get comfortable 
and content. I get bored. I get uninspired. My creativity takes a dive. The amount of effort I'm going to put out right. will dip as well. So when I'm back over here and dissatisfied, I'm going to turn all everything up to 10. I got to get back. 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 But that work that is done is never done. Right. So it keeps you motivated. It keeps you wanting to experience both ends of that spectrum. And I experience, you know, when I, when I tell people, you know, if, if, if you're pretty good all the time, you're never going to feel what it's like to be really good. But that also means you've had to feel really bad. So to see that other end of the spectrum, how far it can go, right. requires the exact opposite. And so my pendulum swing is is quite big now, you know? Do you think it's possible to be effective and being creative without having an anxiety attached to it? Anxiety might be the wrong word when we're talking clinical anxiety, but I think that like maybe dissatisfaction um, is, is a good... So I think art creativity is possible without that. Yeah, that's what I guess one question that I have, and then I've got another one that I remembered. Um, I think it'll be boring. Yeah. I think, um, you know, no offense to people who like, like, uh, Andy Warhol. Why? I can't imagine he was that satisfied doing his art. Or, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. It's that's hard to talk about. I guess that's an interesting one. I think if he was more dissatisfied, changing the color of a banana mm -hmm. wouldn't have been enough. We might have seen what Andy Warhol was capable of had he not just been given the the, the check mark. He might have given us something that was a little more had some more meat and substance to it. You know, like when I when I see a piece of art sold by him that's selling for the same as Rembrandt. What the fuck? Why? You know, and now this is a personal position that I have. Right. Um, there are people in art that, that are very good at arguing how he, that this, these, these type of abstract, uh, I don't even want to get into the names of all the different art groups. Uh, cause I, I find it all very strange and not to do with the thing. Right. Um, but creating art does to me take dissatisfaction like you have to have some level of anxiety right. or you're probably you're probably not feeling it there's not going to be as, as much emotion in it when i'm anxious i have emotion when i'm really anxious i'm really emotional when i'm deeply sad uh i don't remember who was the kirk cobain i don't remember who said it but it was like thank you trauma my art needed this you know um i'm being i'm no, that's something great. like that. That's great. Yeah. On the so question for you, because uh, you said you know if you want to be really really great, you need to really really suck, or if you want to feel the high, you got to feel the really far low. I think that there's a temptation to villainize the idea of engaging with art in not the extremes. Also, I think when you are attempting to push to the extreme, sometimes it's a it's a trying to prove yourself to yourself or to the, uh, the rest of the world Both, yeah. component um, that I think 
allows for, and this is just something I've been exploring, again, going into the multiple art forms, right? Like, I don't need to blow people's mind with my woodworking, you know? That's pretty uh, good, though. Well, thanks. Yeah. Uh, at times, it works out. It's yeah. great. But I also really enjoy it. Yeah. And I've made a conscious effort to not have to care that much about it being perfect. And that act has been equally as satisfying as attempting to... I mean, this podcast, for an, yeah. as an example... I'm not trying to make every shot look perfect. Yeah. Um, I want it to be easy to set up and for us to be able to have conversations because that output's more important to me than the polish on this. Yeah. That doesn't mean all my cinematography is that way. It just means that on this one, I'm giving myself permission for light drift at my house. Like to be, it'll be super dark and super bright and whatever. Who yeah. cares? I mean, somebody might, but they can go somewhere else. What's it about? I don't know. Well, like the dif the difference between when it's like I'm really going to try to do my absolute best this time, the mechanism behind that is sometimes confusing, sometimes maybe self-serving, um, but also exciting. Yeah. And I don't know always what to, what to do with that, but I I guess I'm also just wanting to give other people permission to like, it's okay to just sit, like I was talking to my mom the other day. She's like, I can't play all the scales like I used to. I was like, that's great. Hit two notes and just love that. Yeah. Because that's yeah. also engaging with art and something. You're making something happen and like that's beautiful. Your self worth yeah. isn't in your ability to play all the scales. Yeah. In her mind she still can, kinda. She knows she can't, but you know. Yeah. But but I'm like, yeah. I guess speaking to that, like personal value and then like what's the drive behind that? And like just because you do it doesn't mean somebody else has to. You know, it's like they're not villains because they're attempting at art and they want to yeah you know that yeah that's awesome um andy warhol awesome dude great awesome yeah. so not for his me. art according to you right according to me <laughs> just according to me i miss it i am one yeah. opinion on that yeah, yeah. how i choose to do it how i choose to view it is going to be different very different from him very different from his fans I generally am not going to find myself in a room full of his fans having a conversation i'm enjoying that doesn't mean they're wrong. That doesn't mean they're bad. That doesn't mean I'm right. I'm amazing. It means I see it differently. That's it. Um, I don't get filled up from what I feel is more mediocre. I want it to be harder. I want it to be more challenging. Um, I'm also afraid of certain challenges. I really like that you brought up this thing with your mom and scales. I'm still not a good piano player. I'm not even medium good. I know where notes are, but I almost every time when I find out the scale or the the, the, the chord I want to be in, I'll pull something up on the internet to have up here in the left side of my screen just to remind myself I can or can't hit that note. And I screw that up all the time. Um, like, I didn't even know that the trumpet was wrong in this feeling until you said, you know, the trumpet's in, like, that's not the right key. And I was just like, huh? In my ears, I'm satisfied. In my ears, I'm like, that sounds cool didn't here. You need to change anything. It just... <laughs> well, it was already published. You can't good. do anything about yeah. it now. Yeah. Um, well, you could, but it's, it's a cool. lot of work. Yeah. Um, but the point there being, I used to be really hard on myself about not being very good at guitar, not being very good at keys, especially having them. You have them. How can you not be good at them? My interest, what gets me going, is the, the sounds the feelings they produce, 
And if I get too caught up in the the complexity of, of playing really well and and this, like, there's quantization. I can go into my MIDI and go fix this. I'm now done with that thing and moving on to this thing. That is what makes me happy. Now I'm I'm further through the song. The idea that I have is still fresh. I'm moving closer to the lyrical part. Uh, maybe I have lyrics, and it's st- my, the vibe of what I, I'm making is fitting that the lyrics I had written because I come from it both ways. It doesn't. It's never the same. Um, but what's moving me through my art, what's moving me through skating, what's moving me through all of it, is is what's making me happy. It's what's making me um, have those temporary satisfactory moments. And when I get too caught up in overthinking, when I get too caught up and I'm not good enough, I don't make that banger anymore. I don't do the rail the way I wanted to. I might fall and get... Actually, when I get hurt is when I'm really in my head. Uh, when we, If we focus on the skating aspect. When I get really in my head and I get frustrated, uh, you've seen it. You've seen me when when I when I finish a long rail and fall on the landing. What was that second try or something? And I fell on the landing. Luckily, it was a short rail. For those of you watching, it was 244 foot the Omaha <laughs> rail. If you're a skater, you know this thing. It's legendary. And Seth and I went there, and it was hot and difficult, and everything was kind of stacked against us. And we did it anyways. And I got it done so quickly, and then fell on the landing. <laughs> and then you kept writing it. I kept writing over the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I fell on the landing several times. It was so frustrating. Um, but I was in my head. I'd get through the whole rail and then 10, 15 feet before the end, I'd be like, don't fuck this up. Cause I had fucked it up. Right. And then I, what did I do? I fell. Um, when I've, when I've been hurt, um, it's usually following a negative cyclical thinking thought process. You also ended up writing it out, and I did get it. You just saw so everyone knows it, yeah. that. One, yeah. one day <laughs> so I'll share. At least finish that part yeah. of it too. <laughs> um, one day I'll share that I've been working on a section for four years now, but it's just not good enough yet. That's funny. I want some bigger tricks in there. It's more technical stuff. Uh, there it is. I love it. I'm still not satisfied. I know, and that's good. Um, I think I think being inspired by that process, and it is inspiring to see your dissatisfaction move into art. As long as there's a balance, I think where you can be a happy person yeah and while still being let's say having a general status of being happy yeah um while still being dissatisfied or wanting to engage with you know art form and art output you know because i that's definitely for me a, a complex relationship of i'm really whatever i'm behind on this thing or i want to do this thing i need to you know build again currently building out the parts on the van and i'm really dissatisfied with how it's flowing it would be fine i could just be you know living in it but the friction points that it has i hate and so i really get satisfaction with solving those yeah (laughs) and and that doesn't have any less validity than any and other any other art that i have and that's i think important it's been helpful for me to try to identify. I've learned from it, right? Um, you know, it, in my world of doing things, you're taking too long. In your world of doing things, I'm probably moving too quickly. Um, does does that mean you and I are right or wrong? No, it means we do it differently. Yeah. Um, 
I have learned to take more time on some of my production stuff because of watching and getting to learn from you. And, oh my God, this dude's a psycho. I'm, I, I've been frustrated. Like, come on, let's just, the lighting's fine, dude, or the, the, the audio's fine. Like, let's just, and then every time I'm more satisfied with your results, you know? Um, and then, and then I hear later in conversations when we're having one more personal talk that just, you know, work isn't part of it, that you're dissatisfied with how long it's taking you or, or there's something that is preventing you from having the thing in your hand. And I'm just like, how funny. Yeah. Somewhere in between us is the thing we're trying right. to do. And it's this. Yeah. Primary know? example is the cameras, right? The, I mean, the idea of taking a camera apart and putting it into a case to then also put your tripod into a case and then haul all of that out and, and then take all of your audio stuff and put that into a case and haul all the cases out. And then when really you need all that stuff all the time, yeah. like, is there, I mean, I mean, I don't have it solved, but I'm getting closer to it. It's pretty think. good. It's a lot better. Yeah. Today was the first yeah. attempt of this flow. This flow is like, to me, it's not even that I want it to go faster. I just want the, the process of the, of the setup to have less, annoying pointless life-sucking friction that doesn't need to be there in the process and so so i can spend that same amount of time just making it better or relaxing yeah through the setups it's not a, not anxious your experiences yeah. led you to think that that's the the right thing to do yeah for the way you do it yeah there are a lot less things that can go wrong in the way you do it i find myself with a, a lot of things that go wrong in production I figure it out later most of the time, but sometimes I fucked up that shot. I've there never is no done fixing that. it. <laughs> <laughs> but why you have this efficiency, um, this this uh, you know extreme level of being prepared and having the things the way you need them, so that you can focus on the the thing, the task, the goal, in an extremely highly efficient way. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to remind you, you know, like you're 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 good. So yeah. Don't worry about it, dude. You're gonna get there right. with the music stuff. I have this many doubts that you're gonna get there. Right. And when you do, and it comes time to actually publish and make sure we're getting paid, now I'm very happy for your diligent, your psychotic level of this is gonna be done right because right. I'm going to get paid. Yeah. Um, I don't have to chase people down and go, where's my money? Why am I not collecting these royalties? You're going to have known why, where, what. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, do I, I get to reap those rewards. People who get to work with you, your clients, all the people that you've done storytelling for, they're getting the rewards of that work ethic. And now I have been able to incorporate that into my flow of things. I'm still quite different. That's what makes Andy Andy. That's what makes Seth Seth. Um, our, our products are going to be different. They're going to land in different demographics for different groups of people for different types of storytelling. Um, that, to me, is dope. Like, oh, I have a thing that's kind of my thing. Seth has a thing that's kind of his thing. Yeah. Um, and I've really learned to relax a lot um, as far as content, bringing that into this. Um, I'm content... In dissatisfaction, I'm content in satisfaction, but a little more weary of satisfaction because I've learned over the years what it does to my art and how hindering it is. Um, but just stay, try to be relaxed, you know, like wherever you're at in that, just, just realize doing the thing 
will eventually get that thing to swing. And there you go. That's a good line. Doing the thing <laughs> will eventually get the thing to swing. Um, it is, uh, it's true. You got to just do it. Yeah. I think um, it'd be cool to close out with you giving words of encouragement like you would to the high school groups or the adult groups that you get to talk to about engaging with art in um, maybe on both extremes that we've talked about. Like it's, I'm not telling you to say this necessarily, but I get it. But to me, it's okay to go just doodle and enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to try to be the best it's ever been yeah. or the best that you can be. But um, I think that the guilt associated with both sides looking at each other, it's like, um, it mutes people's engagement with things that they actually enjoy. And so, yeah, well, that's the cool thing about art though. You can't do it wrong. Yeah. Um, there might be someone who wants it different. There might be something in you that wants it different. Um, that's a good thing. If you are, and this is what I would say to either group. If you are worrying more than you're doing the thing, that's that's what sucks. That's what's going to make you depressed. That's what's going to make you feel imposter syndrome being louder than just doing syndrome. Um, you're going to find that your doubts are way louder than your conviction, than your abilities. We don't know our abilities until we flex those muscles, till we use the pencil, till we hit the note on the keyboard. We don't know what we're capable of until we try. And the only way to do anything first is fail usually. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get a very skilled person, probably who was pretty good at something else that they failed a lot at already. And it happened to transcribe, to, to carry over into this new thing. It wasn't that they're just gifted. I, I honestly hate that when people are like, you're so gifted. I'm like, let's discount the 40,000 hours I've thrown in this. Cause you're right. I just, thank you. It came out of the sky. I think no one should hear that because then they're going to assume they're not gifted. They don't have the thing. That is so BS. There's nothing about that that's true. No one just has it. You're going to maybe have an inclination that makes you more likely to succeed quicker, but that might hold you back from becoming great because failure over and over and over and over and that creating that dissatisfaction further down that spectrum, widening the spectrum is what's going to swing it back into being really fucking rad. And when you get to experience the learning as much as possible and that pendulum swings wider and wider and wider, you become more of a character. You find originality. You have a signature to what you do. It's not going to be just like everybody else's. You're going to actually figure out what makes you unique. And that's going to come through your specific failures and your specific successes. And none of us are going to experience those the same way. But we're all going to experience nothing if we do nothing. So if you're sitting there worried, good. That's exactly what you need to do to get the pendulum to be starting to swing out of dissatisfaction to learning, contentment, back to success and going, I did it. What's next? And then it'll start to swing back the other way. And if we can, if we, if we had the conversation with each other more often uh, along the lines of, dude, I sucked. There was a time I was terrible at rap. There was a time I was terrible at engineering, producing pro tools. 
I still look at it sometimes and like, I have to like, hold on, wait, what, what are all these things in front of me? Um, everything we do is going to have something that is going to challenge us and make us have to work through doubt, make us have to work through imposter syndrome, but just doing it, just being dissatisfied and letting that be okay. Letting actually it's good. It's good that you don't know you that means you're interested. And if you're interested and it's enough to pull you into trying and that that failure is something that the conversation is seen as good and people are like, oh, you tried then. Oh, yeah, I guess I did try. Did you die? No. Oh, well, then maybe do it some more. Um, you know, in skating, it can be different. You can break a bone and that could be mortality. Like, oh, well, I'm, I'm fragile or whatever. Um, but that's another whole conquest in your mind too, of you will heal, you will be stronger. That bone won't break quite as easy next time. Um, and, and the wonderful thing about when you do get injured is your brain keeps going. It's funny, you know, you get, you get hurt and then three months later you put your skates back on, you go out and do it and somehow you're better. So that's another thing I would like to remind people of when you have plateaus, it may feel lonely. It may feel sad. It may feel desperate, but your brain is doing stuff during that big flat. It is doing stuff. Trust that it will get there. You're just going to have to keep trying. And eventually you're going to run into that next mountain. That's super exciting to climb. And you're going to learn all kinds of new ways to get up the mountain. And then you're going to get to the top with the cliche hands in the air. It's going to be great. And then you got to go back down and there's probably going to be another plateau. But every single one of those is a, they get a little longer and a little better and a little taller and you just become more you. You become more capable of celebrating what you've been through, what you can give to others and just how magical and miraculous the process is. I love it. Yeah. Dude, I love you. I love you too, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming up with this idea and sticking with it. Yes, yeah. So excited I'm to excited. see what happens with all of them. I am. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. too. Thank you. Yeah, dude. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with other people you think might gain value from it. My name is Seth Schaefer. This is Behind the Act.